You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. CACC questions. They're a big part of our life. Some are not that important, like did you do laundry today or what did you eat for supper? But others are very important, and especially their answers, such as will you marry me? Or is the cancer in remission? Or did you get the job? And today we're going to see some religious leaders and their friends, and they bombard Jesus with questions. And basically, they're playing a game called Stump the Rabbi. And they're trying to trap him and discredit him. And they're trying to get the crowd to turn against him. And so our text today is going to be Mark chapter 12, verses 13 to 34. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Mark is the second gospel. And Mark chapter 12, verses 13 to 34. But it's important for us to go ahead and go back one chapter so we can get the context of what's going on. In Mark chapter 11, we see the triumphal entry. Uh, This is basically where there was a parade that was held. Jesus was put on a colt. People are uh, uh, singing and shouting Hosanna, and they're putting their clothes down and they're waving palm branches. And this would have gotten the attention of the Sanhedrin. They were proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah and and King. And so the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, would not have liked this. This would have also gotten the attention of the Roman leaders. We also see in Mark 11 that he clears out the temple. Jesus clears out the temple. He drives out those who are buying and selling there. He overturns tables uh, of the money changers and and the benches of those selling doves. He basically shuts down the temple. Uh, He says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. Now, here's the key. It wasn't just the buying and selling that was going on and the money exchangers, uh, but it was the place that they were doing these transactions. It was in the court of the Gentiles. And you had all this noise while the Gentiles were trying to pray, while they were trying to to worship. It would basically be like having a Spurs game in the middle of our worship service. I mean, it was like impossible. I mean, you had all of this. You had coins going on and you had uh, animals and all these things. And the Gentiles couldn't worship. And so we see that it was just a very noisy area. And and Jesus uh, clears it out. He basically shuts it down. Mark eleven eighteen is very important. It says the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, looking for a way to kill Jesus. And they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. They were threatened by Jesus. And so if you keep on reading Mark 11, and they question his authority. And now they're looking for a way to trap him. And in this chapter, we see several questions that Jesus is asking. Each one of them is meant to trap him by it. And the first question is, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And what we see is we see two groups coming together that are normally enemies, the Pharisees and the Herodians. Pharisees were a little bit more uh, leaning to the right, we would say. The Herodians, though, they thought the way of peace was to 
get along with the Romans. And so you had these two opposing people coming together and they ask this question. It would basically be like Republicans and Democrats agreeing to come together against someone. And so they try to butter Jesus up, but then they ask him this question. And if Jesus answers, no, don't pay taxes, the crowds would have loved him uh, because they hated paying taxes. And on top of that, one third of their income went to paying taxes. And on the coin, it had Tyrus Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. And on the other side, it said the most high priest, which was very offensive to them. And the Herodians, though, would have immediately wanted Jesus arrested and executed. Uh, and they would have wanted, uh, went and told the Romans about this. And uh, the Romans would not have looked kindly on someone uh, saying not to pay taxes or encouraging others not to pay taxes. Now, if he would have said yes, this would have made the crowds angry and the Pharisees, no doubt, would have stirred up the crowds against Jesus and there could have been a possible riot at this point in time. And again, the Romans would have gotten involved with that because they wanted to keep the peace. So this is Jesus' answer that we see uh, starting in verse 15. It says, Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and said, Why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. When they handed it to him, he said, Whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well, then Jesus said, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to give to God what belongs to God. And his reply completely amazed them. And this is pretty, this was uh, pretty hard for them to argue with this answer. Uh, but guess what? Stump the rabbi was not over. The Sadducees are next up. And these are religious leaders who say there's no resurrection from the dead. Oh, which resurrection is not a highly developed concept in the Old Testament. And it's important to know that this group really only dealt with the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. And, and their question comes from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 25, verse 5 which is laws concerning liverite marriage and how to apply it to the resurrection. And when we think about this type of marriage, you might turn to the book of Ruth and we see that, that uh, Ruth's husband died and eventually she had this kinsman redeemer named Boaz that helped her and, and married her and, and helped her through a very, very difficult situation. And so their question or go wasn't just to try to for or trap Jesus, but it was also to force Jesus into denying the concept of resurrection. This is, uh, also would have made the Pharisees mad, which again, Sadducees didn't always get along uh, with the Pharisees. Uh, the Sadducees were uh, this kind of religious elite group uh, as well. So this is their question. It starts off in verse 19. Teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies leaving a wife without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers and the oldest one married and then died without children. And so the second brother married the widow, but he also died without children. Then the third brother married her and this continued with all seven of them, which by the way, they could have just stopped with with the second one, but they go through all seven of them, and still there's no children. Last of all, the woman has died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? 
for all seven were married to her. Now, notice this question is coming from people who don't believe in the resurrection. And, and this type of marriage was in place to protect women and families and property. And, and the Sadducees assumed that there would be this need for it in the future if there was a resurrection, which again, their general belief is that they didn't believe in a resurrection. So here's Jesus' answer, verse 24. He says, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures. Ouch. You don't know the power of God. Ouch. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like angels in heaven. I didn't say, he didn't say that you'll become angels. He said you'll be like angels in heaven. But now as to whether the dead will be raised, haven't you ever read about this in the writings of Moses? In the story of the burning bush, long after Abraham, Isaac, Jacob had died, God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. You've made a serious error. Now, notice Jesus says, you know, you know the scriptures, or you don't know the scriptures, which is pretty insulting for these men were dedicated to knowing the scriptures. And they didn't know the power of God. And so Jesus right away gets to the point and says, hey, you guys just don't know. You may think that you know everything, but guess what? You don't. At resurrection, God will transform all of creation. Structures that are in place now may not be in place in the future, such as marriage. But I believe that God is going to make everything so much better than what we could ever imagine. And I know for some of us, not having marriage in place brings us sadness because we love our spouse and have been married to them for a very long time. But trust me, like in the future, God's going to make things so much better. Now, here's the thing. I don't think these structures are needed because we will not, we will not have the stain of sin. And, and most of these structures that are in place are to help protect. Jesus also says we have a God of the living, not the dead. We are resurrection people. We are people that know that even on our bad days, there's still hope. Even when we go through the valley, even though when we go through some of the toughest times, guess what? It's not the end. And so these Sadducees, they try to trick Jesus. They try to do all of these things. But guess what? Uh, Jesus answers them and says, hey, you just don't know. There, a resurrection will take place. And this question really just doesn't matter. So the next question comes from an expert of the law. And I think he's a little bit nicer with this. And some have said, ah, he's not really trying to trick Jesus. But experts in the law were responsible for two things. One, making copies of the original manuscripts of the Old Testament scriptures, as well as writings from other teachers. And then secondly, for interpreting these words of the people who were by, large, by and large illiterate. And it sounds like a pretty straightforward job, right? Study God's word, teach it, preach it. However, these experts in the law made their job a little bit more difficult uh, because, it was, because when they divided up the law, there was 613 commandments. 16, 613 commandments. 
And, and they would uh, spend a lot of time debating what, what, which one is most important. And so this was a common activity that you had these religious uh, experts that would debate this question. And, and so I think he comes to Jesus. Maybe he was put up by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But he, he comes to Jesus and he asks this question, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus gives a two-part answer, verse 29. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. And Jesus answers him with a verse that the expert undoubtedly knew very well. It was basically a basic Jewish confession of faith in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 to 6. Pious Jews would recite this at the beginning and end of each day. It opened synagogue services with it each Friday evening. It affirmed the unity of God and to love Him. And if you look at Deuteronomy, it just uses the word heart, soul, and strength, but Mark adds the word mind to it. You might say, well, why did Mark do this? Well, Mark is writing to more of a Gentile audience. And so he uses two Greek words for a single Hebrew word. Uh, I think there's times that, that this is true for us. When we're trying to translate an English word in a, uh, into Spanish or Spanish into English, and sometimes there's just not a word there that makes sense. And so sometimes you have to translate two words into this. And so in this case, uh, there was this Hebrew word that, that John just could not figure out a way just to use one word. And so he uses two words. And that's why we see him using the word mine. Well, we see that Jesus expands beyond the teacher's lost questions. Instead of just giving him one answer here, he says, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So basically, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is quoting from Leviticus 19.18. And why would he include this second, the second most important commandment? Because love for God and love for neighbor can never be separated. The Apostle John writes, If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. 1 John 4.20 We love God by helping people, by serving people, by forgiving people. As we reflect on these three questions, I keep on thinking about how stubbornness comes into play in these questions and from the religious leaders. Stubbornness can come from ignorance and arrogance. Stubbornness can lead us to pointless arguments. Stubbornness often comes from a place of pride. Stubbornness resists grace and life. And these religious groups were threatened by Jesus. And they were stubborn. They were arrogant. They were prideful. They had no room for grace. But we too can be stubborn at times, even though we might not want to admit it. God tries to get our attention, and, and sometimes we ignore God. Sometimes we think, oh, I don't need God. God doesn't, I, I don't need him at this point in time. There's times that we desire our own way. And if we're not careful, we can debate and become legalistic in our beliefs. 
Uh, while I was working on the sermon, I got an email from this person who was looking for a Bible-believing church. And he said a Bible-believing church were, was a church that only used the King James Version of the Bible. And then he gave me a list of other things that he thought consisted of a Bible-believing church. And in the back of my mind, I just thought, you know what, I'm just happy that people will read the Bible, period. I don't care what translation, and the King James Version has many problems with that. But in this guy's mind, the King James Version was the most important thing. And, and I think there's probably times that I too can get focused on things that don't really matter. I can get dogmatic about things, and in the church we can do the same thing. We can get over the top about social issues. We can get over the top about baptism and, and so emphatic about proving our point that we lack grace and love. Oh, we can let pride get the best of us. You know, the longer I live, the more I realize I'm not a host or a waiter or the bouncer. Uh, I'm a guest at God's table. Uh, let, let me say this again. I'm not the host or the waiter or the bouncer. I'm a guest at God's table. I want to be a good table guest. And I want to good, learn good table manners. And I think this is done by loving God and loving people. Being a Christian really isn't that complicated. I know sometimes we make it complicated and we have this long list. But in reality, being a Christian is loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving people. And yes, loving people is complicated and messy at times. But that's it. You love God, you love people. So what's one way that you can connect to God this week? What's one, we, one way that you can do that? Maybe it is through reading scripture or prayer or journaling or finding a way to worship. Today, I wanna to encourage you to connect with Christ and I also want you to connect with others. Look for someone that you can love. Maybe someone that's overlooked and serve someone today. 